Hi, I'm Erwin McManus, and this is the Mosaic Podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And if you're one of our regular listeners, we love the fact that you journey with us. And we pray that every single message inspires you and helps you become the person that God created you to be. Every single week, we send a new message across the world. And everything we do here at Mosaic is made available to everyone in the world for absolutely free. The reason we can do that is that we have incredible people who give generously and sacrificially to make this possible. And I want to invite you to join us. If you're already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you've not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that now. Go to mosaic.org give and give a one-time gift or even beyond that become a recurring giver here at Mosaic. And if you're one of those individuals who God has blessed in an amazing way financially, I want to invite you to become one of our partners here at Mosaic. What's really beautiful about Mosaic is that our biggest givers are families who do not live here in Los Angeles, but they are so committed to the message of Jesus going to the world that they support the work here from Los Angeles to the ends of the earth. And so I want to invite you again, go to mosaic.org give, become a part of our support system, become one of our partners, and more than anything else, I want you to listen to the message, allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. So we've been journeying together through the Gospel of John, and we've entitled this journey 33 AD, and we've been looking at the legend of Jesus. And I love the Gospel of John. It's the first book I ever read when I became a person of faith in college. And I had never seen the Bible, didn't know you could have one, could never, could not identify anything in the Bible other than the movies I watched with Charleston Heston. And, and when I opened up the Gospel of John, it just absolutely revolutionized my life, just to understand who Jesus was and to get a sense of this person that I had chosen to follow, even though I did not know him. And so we've been journeying together, and now we're just past the halfway point in John chapter 12. And John 11 is an epic moment. For those of you who missed last week, you, you, you missed a really significant episode in the story. Because this is when Jesus shows up late for the sickness of his friend Lazarus, who ends up dying. And four days after his death, Jesus calls him out of the tomb and brings him back to life. So it's a pretty significant story. But it became a story that just wouldn't die. Have you ever just noticed there are just some stories that just won't die? I was at a dinner Friday night for a birthday party for a friend, John Gordon. It was kind of strange. We were celebrating his 50th birthday party, even though he's 52. But, you know, there's procrastination and there are other things. And so we're, we're in this small room at a restaurant, and there's just way too many people for the size of the room. And so the, it's so loud, and I can't hear anything. So I'm just barely able to hear the person across from me or the person next to me. And then the person to my left asked me this bizarre question. He didn't give me any backstory. He thought I was listening in, but I wasn't listening in. He just suddenly said, Erwin. And I said, what? He goes, how many people would you estimate are in outer space right now? <laughs> I, I, I didn't know why he was asking me that question. I, I, I didn't understand the context. And so I started doing the math really fast in my head. I didn't want to get it wrong. I figured he was just trying to show someone that he knew more than me. And so I said, well, at least 8 billion. He goes, what? I said, there are at least 8 billion people that I can count in outer space. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, we are in outer space. This, this planet is actually in outer space. So like we're somewhere else, and then there's outer space. We're outer space. So 
you have to include us. He goes, that's not what I meant. I, I, I meant how many, so it's not a trick question, how many people have left from here, are out in space right now? And I said, I don't know. So I just guessed maybe 20. And what was happening was the person next to him was telling him that she did not believe that we ever landed on the moon. And she was convinced it was all government propaganda, that all the films have been doctored, that none of it is real. And so he was trying to convince her that we actually are capable of being out in space and trying to use my expertise in space travel to validate his position. And so when I said 8 billion people, I just made the argument worse for him. And, and, I, and I looked at it and I said, you don't believe that we ever, we ever landed on the moon? She goes, no, I just think that we made it up because we were competing with the Russians and we wanted them to think we got there first. And I thought, wow, that story just won't die. I mean, I just wanted to have a follow-up question. Where's Elvis? I, you know, it's just, because there are just some stories that just never die. And no matter how much we talk about them, how much research there is, and, and, then, and then they started talking about, you know, alien invasions and, you know, how, how, how much is the government kind of doctoring or hiding all the aliens who are here. And, and I remind them, we're all aliens. And so maybe it's just all of us. And, and one of the crazy things is when you have a story that just lives on and on and on and on, and no matter how much people talk about, it has so much weight that you can't stop its momentum. And this is what we find in John chapter 12. Because I, I went to read John chapter 12. It was one of those chapters that just absolutely threw me off. I mean, if I did not believe in God, and I did not have some level of confidence in the Bible, I would think this story is crazy. So I'm going to take you into a crazy moment. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. I love just to just go casual. Whom Jesus had, you know, that Lazarus, not the other Lazarus that he had not yet raised from the dead. The one he raised from the dead, here at a dinner, was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary, and this is the, this is the story we remember. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. I love how John just goes right to the point. He is so much like my wife, Kim. As keeper of the money bag, he used, to help, used it to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also because, or also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, in case you forgot. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For an account of him, Many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. And when I started unwrapping this particular moment, the historical focus of this over and over again is what Mary does. Because it's pretty profound and pretty significant. And then the secondary focus would be, well, Judas's intention, his motivation. But we rarely talk about who was at the table. 
And a part of the reason we don't talk about who was at the table is that it doesn't make sense who was at the table. Because the way John writes this, it's almost as if it's casual. You know, just six days before Passover, Jesus went to Bethany and, and he went to where Lazarus lived. And he was at a dinner that was given in his honor and Martha was serving. And Lazarus, love, love this, how casual it is. He was reclining at the table with him. Now, I would be chilled too if I had been dead and now I'm alive. I mean, really, what is there to stress about? And here he is, and everyone's watching Lazarus. I, you see, I, most of the time you would think Jesus would be the main character in every story, right? I mean, most of the time if Jesus is present, all the attention is going to go to Jesus. But right now, in a very real way, Lazarus is competing with Jesus as the best story in the room. Because right now, Jesus is a fascinating character, and he has there's a lot of things about him that are really compelling, and he's done some things that are confusing, confounding, but Lazarus was dead. So you really can't compare stories right now. It's Lazarus' story. It is a story that just won't die. And so now Mary interrupts the moment and expresses such love and affection to Jesus that it is told about throughout history. But then it gets right past that, and it goes back to verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. But then he adds this note, not only because of him, because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But what's fascinating to me is right now, Lazarus has a more compelling story than Jesus. Now, I know that may be hard to imagine, especially because most of us who are here are, are people who have incredible reverence for Jesus, and we're followers of Jesus. And, 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 and so we can't imagine there would ever be a moment where someone else could overshadow or supersede Jesus in, in their story. And in fact, what we often talk about is that you need to make sure that you're always, well, elevating Jesus in your life and not trying to draw anyone to yourself, but always to him. But, but Lazarus can't help it. Because he was dead, and now he's alive, and he's lounging at the table. And so everyone wanted to come, not just because of Jesus, but they wanted to see Lazarus, who'd been raised from the dead. His story was more compelling right now than the story of Jesus. And I, I started wondering how, how there's so many people right now all around us that, that are at least nominally interested in Jesus. In fact, that was, this was a weekend of birthday parties. I was at another birthday party yesterday. And so I went last night, and, and it's a really good friend of mine who I've been talking to for a few years. And, and when I first met him, he was an atheist, and now he's not. <laughs> I don't know what he is, but he's not. And, and he's come to Mosaic quite a few times. And, and yesterday he said, you know, I come. He does. He comes like once every you know, six months, like many of you that actually do believe. And so he has the same attendance record as a lot of people. And, and we're hugging and he's talking to me and telling me how much I mean to him and how much I've impacted his life and how much he loves me. And, and, and then I just sort of slip in a little whisper and I say, you know, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. He goes, I really like Jesus. And I said, I know you really like Jesus, but he loves you. So the relationship is not equitable. 
one day we're just going to get more coffee and have a few more lunches and talk about moving from liking Jesus to maybe loving him. I'm in. I'm in. Happy birthday. And, but you know what I realized? That he's not that sure about Jesus, but he's become really sure about me. Because I'm his friend and I love him. And he matters to me and I would never betray him. I'd always relate to him with truth and integrity, with love and compassion, with friendship without judgment. And, and because of that, right now, at this stage in his life, my life is a more compelling story than Jesus' life. I know that sounds crazy. But there are people who are looking at you and they just need to see you, see your life. And, and I just want to ask you, I know this is a terrible comparison, but is your life more compelling than Jesus's? Because Jesus lived on this earth. He walked on this earth 2,000 years ago. Even though we know he's alive right now, only because you have faith are you aware of that reality. But if you don't have faith, you can't see Jesus. So he's not that compelling. He's interesting, but not compelling. He's fascinated because he's a historic character and he has incredible significance in the human story. But people are not going to move to begin to ask the deep questions about who Jesus is unless they find you to have a compelling story. And what we know about Lazarus is he had a story that wouldn't die. And what God wants for you and for me is that he wants us to have a story that won't die. A story that's so compelling that that they want to get around you and figure out who you are and figure out what happened to you. I just love the fact that we can be an anomaly. I remember years ago when I was at the TED conference in, um, in Rio de Janeiro, I met this man who was the headmaster of the most prestigious private school in the world, and I think it's Geneva, Switzerland. And we began developing a relationship, a friendship, and, and, and you know, at first when you're talking to someone at TED, you don't usually say, Oh, I believe in God, because that pretty much ends the conversation. And so you usually just begin to talk about so many other things. And eventually, as we came along the way, he began to realize I was a person of faith, that I actually had a deep personal faith in Jesus. And, and I remember in the last day of Ted, because we really came to like each other, he said, I just can't make sense of the fact that you could believe in God. Because you seem to be a really rational, significantly intelligent human being. How is it possible you actually believe in God? And I told him, I know I look exceptional. I'd like to remain exceptional. But you just have met a lot of dumb Christians. And I'm not exceptional. There are a lot of smart people who believe in God. And a lot of people smarter than me who believe in Jesus. You've just had the misfortune of meeting the wrong people. He goes, well, I've never thought about that. I just need, you need to get out. Because there are more compelling people in the world. And frankly, my frustration is that you are really compelling. But a lot of times the most compelling people are also the most private. They're compelling, but they don't want to be repelling. Right? They're compelling, but they don't want to be offensive. They're, they're compelling, but they, don't want, they do not want to be intrusive. And, 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 and so they're not compelling to anyone who doesn't believe. Some of you are already compelling and people are trying to figure out what is it about them that makes a difference? What is it about them that, that draws them to me? What is it about them that makes me trust them? What is it about them that makes me want to be like them? And by the way, when I did not believe in God, that's exactly what drew me in. I'd never seen a Bible. I didn't know who Jesus was. I just kept interacting with all these people who said that Jesus changed their life and they were just compelling. And I would argue and argue and I would win every time. 
because I was meaner. And I would win all these arguments, these debates, and when it was over, they would look at me and say, Erwin, I, I can't answer that question. I don't know how to argue with you, but I just know that Jesus has changed my life, and he wants to change yours. And that would irritate me. It's like chess. I, I played chess from the age of three. We would make the other person drop the king. It wasn't just, it's over. My grandfather would make me drop my king, a symbol of my submission, a symbol of his conquest, a symbol of his superiority over me. I was five years old, and my grandfather was crushing me every single time. And that's the way you do life. You play chess. And if I have your king, you drop your king. And none of them would drop their king. You say, I can't win this game. I'm just telling you, Jesus changed my life. And I would leave so frustrated irritated that they would not play by the rules. Well, they're supposed to give up on God except for one thing. Well, maybe two. I would always walk away thinking to myself, I like them better than I like me. And two was, I want to be like them. I don't want them to be like me. Lazarus created an entirely new storyline in human history. The man who rose from the dead without wanting to, or capable of it. The man who experienced passively a resurrection, so that when Jesus called him out of the grave, he came back to life. And it was a compelling story, and people came. It says the crowd of Jews came, not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. And I just want to... I just want to ask you, what, what are the small things you need to do in your life to have a compelling story? It doesn't take much, because most people just exist. Most people are just struggling, surviving, making it through the day. Most people are so bored of their lives that when they meet someone who's fully alive, it's so compelling, they just want to be around you. You don't have to be smarter than anyone more talented, more gifted. You just need to be fully alive, and you'll become compelling. And in verse 10, there's the most peculiar statement. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Why? The man's already been dead once. Leave the man alone. Like, don't make him die multiple times so quickly. And, and then and what harm... Does it do for someone other than you to have been brought back to life? How could that ruin your life? What's crazy is that we actually live in this win-lose culture. We have a win-lose story, a win-lose humanity. It is true that misery loves company. And the worst thing about Lazarus is that he became an undeniable proof that there's more to life than just this life. And so Lazarus becomes a more compelling story than Jesus, and, but he also becomes a story as dangerous as God. These, these Jewish leaders already had concluded that Jesus was too dangerous to leave alive. He only lived 33 years. Jesus' life was really short. His public life was only around three years old. I mean, can you imagine creating so much nervousness, anxiety, distress, fear, 
of how dangerous you are that they kill you within three years because they, they cannot let you live. And what, what did Jesus do that made him so dangerous? He talked about compassion and forgiveness. He talked about love, mercy. He talked about the kingdom of God and how God was for us and with us. He opened up the world to the poor and the outcast, the outlier. What made Jesus so dangerous that they had to kill him? And now Lazarus falls into the same category. And so they made plans to kill Lazarus as well. When you have a story that won't die, it's a story that is actually as compelling as Jesus, if not more compelling to the people around you. And it's a story that's as dangerous as God, because if your story is true, it changes everything for everyone. I, I was probably like a lot of people during the pandemic, I, um, or during the quarantine, I watched a lot of Netflix. I mean, I, I helped them raise their stock value so high. You know. It was an illusion, but it, I was there. And I, I think eventually I had to start downloading more apps because I ran out of material. And I found this, this documentary called Senna. Senna was a Brazilian F1 race car driver, the greatest of all time. And he didn't fit his world when he was a Latin in a very white world. And he became the greatest driver to ever live. And I, there was one interview in the documentary that just really struck me. Because one of the things that made Senna unique was that he actually had a very open faith in Jesus as a Brazilian. And, and so there's his number one competitor was like a German driver who was an atheist. And in the interview, the German driver said, Senna should not be allowed to drive because he believes in God. And so he's not afraid of death, which makes him dangerous. He should not be allowed on the track. Mm, I love that. <laughs> I want to be so dangerous that people like want to disqualify me. You should not be in this game. Because you don't know to be afraid. I can tell you, I, 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 I can tell you the day, the time, the place. Remember being on the intersection of the street in South Dallas when I was in my 20s, around 23, 24 years old, and and I was going to the highest crime area of the United States, highest murder rate area of the United States. And I was driving Kim's car because I was borrowing it because I was poor. And my heart was pounding. I, I could just see everything happening around me. It was a late Friday night and the activity was hot. And I was going to get out of my car and go into that little room over there. And I thought, I don't know if I want to get out of my car because I could be killed. And my heart was pounding, I could feel it in my chest. I stopped the car in the middle of the street. I didn't even pull over, that's how frantic I was. I just stopped in the middle of the street and put it in park and I, I just started praying. Because I was new, I was new to faith, I was new to all of this. I said, God, how am I supposed to do any good here if I'm afraid to get out of the car? And I was kind of waiting for a verse that would comfort me because I'd memorized a few. I had several available for inspiration. Right. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Fear not, for I am with you. Be strong and courageous. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. There's so many available verses. 
But what came crashing into my head was a verse I had never memorized. It was accidental. What I heard was, Erwin, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I thought, that's not helpful. That's really not what I'm looking for right now. And, I, and, and without convincing you I'm insane, it was, it, it, it was the clearest internal conversation I ever had. I felt like God said to me, Erwin, if you'll just die right here, I will take you where dead men can go. Where only dead men can go. And in that moment, I had a personal funeral. This is where I let fear die. This is where I let me die so that I can be raised from the dead. Eric Roy, who's a great friend of our family, best friends with my kids and with his wife, Tass. And so he came up to me this weekend. And he said, hey, you're talking about Lazarus. And I've just been thinking about it. And he goes, do you think God or Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead before he rose from the dead so that he would be the first one? Great question, right? And I thought, that's a great question. And it, it actually boomerangs to the right answer. See, I'm convinced that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead not just to foreshadow his resurrection, but to foreshadow your resurrection. See, what Jesus wanted to make sure we understood wasn't that someone was raised from the dead before him, but that someone was going to be raised from the dead after him. That he would not be the singular human raised from the dead. Because if Jesus was the only story of resurrection, we'd go, oh, that's because he's God. But that can't happen to us. And, and then if anything like that might happen for us or to us, it will happen after we die and leave this life. But we have one guy right here named Lazarus who died and rose from the dead and was still lounging in his living room. So what that tells me is that you need to stop putting resurrection off and choose to die right now and let God raise you from the dead so you can live as dangerous as God. And I'm not going to say that it, make you, it will make your life better. Because when they saw Lazarus and he was alive, and he conquered death, and he, has, he had a story that wouldn't die, they wanted to kill him. So stepping into this death and resurrection doesn't make your life easier. It doesn't make everyone like you better. It just makes you so compelling that people will have to choose whether they want to live in death or, or die to live. By the way, um, Senna ended up dying in a car crash in a race. Oh, yeah. That ruins the story, doesn't it? We want him to keep racing and winning and winning and winning and then retiring. But I can tell you this. The second before he took his last breath, he was fully alive. And he was dangerous. And the assessment was true. You shouldn't let a man like that on the track. You can't let someone who's fully alive get into the game of life. Because they're not afraid. They're not afraid of failure. They're not afraid of death. They're not afraid of rejection. They're just afraid of not living and not everyone will love that you are different. Not everyone will love that you elevate. Not everyone will love that you raise the bar, what it means to be human. 
but others will be drawn to you so powerfully because your life will be so compelling that it will change them too. And then in verse 11, it says, for on account of him, speaking of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Now, what's kind of interesting is the way the story begins is when John says the word him, he's talking about Jesus, and then uses Lazarus' name. But by the end of the story, he uses Jesus' name, and he describes Lazarus as him. Because you know who I'm talking about. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. And so what you find is when you have a story that won't die, you have a story that's as persuasive as Jesus. This, if you stop and think about this, this statement is, is just ridiculous. On account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to believing in Jesus while Jesus was still present. See, I can understand this if you wrote this a thousand years later. You know, Jesus has been dead a thousand years. He rose from the dead, but it's kind of hard to figure out who he is, where he's at, to see him, to feel him, to touch him, to know him. But I can see and hear and feel and know you, so you're more compelling. But Jesus is still alive, and Lazarus is more compelling. So on account of Lazarus, because, you know, by the way, he was alive, then he died. I was alive, and they want to kill him. There's no record that they killed him. Maybe you just couldn't kill a guy who won't stay dead. Maybe they were afraid to kill him because it, it could happen again. I mean, that would just be really, really tough if you had a guy that rose from the dead twice. I mean, that would be the original Schwarzenegger. I'm back, right? It would just be intense. No record that he died ever. He could be in Birmingham, Alabama right now. I was thinking this morning, maybe he's Pop who coaches the Spurs, right? You know, and he looks like he's been alive forever. <laughs> and, uh, maybe his death isn't recorded because it's just so incidental to his story. I've been to way too many funerals where the person sounds better in the eulogy than they looked in their lives. And I've been to some of those funerals with Kim, and you know, if you know my wife, she's just, she just says it the way she thinks it. She's passed that on to our children. And uh, I remember one day I said to our son Aaron, your life would be so much easier if you did not say your first thought. <laughs> Good advice. And, uh, but Kim, that first thought, it just flows. It's natural. And we're at this funeral, and they're saying all these things about this person that we know. We know were meaningless because they couldn't find anything meaningful to say. And she looked at him, she goes, if I have nothing worth remembering, don't pretend my life is significant. Don't do this to me. You have one person in history whose story became so compelling that people were drawn to his life and because of his life they were drawn to Jesus I, I, I don't know where this idea came from you know, and if you're 
not a person of faith, this may not like make sense to you, but I hear Christians so oftentimes say, well, you know, I just, I, it, it's not me. It was God. Yeah, I, I just, I, you know, it's not about me. It's God. And I go, no, actually, it's you. It's you. You're, you're the one who chose to give. You're the one who chose to sacrifice. You're the one who chose to be generous. You're the one who chose to be kind. You're the one who chose to love. You're the one that chose to serve. It's okay that it's you. In fact, it's not only okay, it's recommended. And what the real measure is, it's you, but you're always pointing to him. You're not saying, oh, it wasn't me. You're going, it was me because he changed me. See, it, it was me, but it wouldn't have been me if it wasn't for him. Lazarus, I don't think, was ever taking credit for the resurrection. You know, I, I don't think he was saying, yeah, yeah, I was, I was laying there, like, day three, I thought, I'm going to wait one more day because I, I just, like, I really want to, like, want to blow this up. I want to I I go, like, viral on TikTok. And so, like, resurrection, 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 here we go. And Lazarus was a completely passive agent in this story. He only had one thing that qualified him. When Jesus had come out, he came. And maybe that's what's missing in some of our lives. Those subtle little moments where you hear God speak to you and you do not respond to him. That moment where you just know in your gut that God is calling you to trust him with your life and follow him and you have to hear his voice and say yes. Lazarus became as persuasive as Jesus and even more so even while Jesus was there. And Jesus never saw that as in competition with himself. He never said, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, he rose from the dead, but I raised him. You know, Jesus wasn't thirsty. He wasn't going, no, no, I get all the credit. I get all the credit. I get all the credit. He trusted Lazarus to live a life in such a way that it would draw people to him. And God trusts you the same way. I want you to have a story that just won't die. We can't just leave it to Elvis. To have the only story people talk about, is he really dead? You need to have a story. What happened to her? What happened to him? What, what happened to them? I mean, they were always like nice people, but now they're dangerous. They're alive. They're courageous. They're not afraid. They're willing to cross the line of certainty into mystery and live a life that no one can understand. What in your life? is so compelling because it cannot be understood or explained by your own talent or intelligence or skills or experience or work. But don't you want to wake up in the morning and go, I'm, I didn't just wake up. I rose from the dead. I'm not existing. I'm alive. We need a movement of living humans walking this earth so that people can see the difference. And the difference is not what you believe. The difference is what you breathe. And when you are fully alive, you are filled with love and with hope, with joy, with courage, and with faith, and with life. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never crossed the line of faith and trusted Jesus with your life. You've thought about it. You've been close. You like Jesus. But you've never opened up your life to his love. And 
It could be that this is the moment you hear his voice speaking to you, calling you out of the dead to be alive. See, Jesus is not calling you out so that you can be a better person or live a more successful life. He's not trying to call you out of a different faith into his faith. Jesus is trying to call you out of death into life. And if you will trust him with your life, you will be raised from the dead. Not one day in the future, this moment, your resurrection will happen. Would you just bow your heads with me just for a moment? If you're here and you've never opened up your life to Jesus, you've thought about it, you've been close, but you've always held back. But this is your moment, this is the day that you come out of the grave and you live. If you're ready to trust Jesus with your life and follow him, to receive his forgiveness and to receive the life that only he can breathe into you, I want to lead you in a simple prayer right now. It's not everything that you need to say to God and certainly not everything God's going to say to you, but it's the beginning point. If you're ready to give your life to Jesus, would you pray with me right now? Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, just tell him. Jesus, I give you my life. This is where it begins. Jesus, I give you my life. Father, I pray that in this moment for every person who has just whispered that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. I pray, God, that they would know that you've heard them, that you have come into their life and that you've taken them from death to life, that the resurrection in their life has happened right now. I pray that you would wrap them in your love and let them know they belong to you, that you will never leave them or abandon them. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just pray that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life, I'd love to celebrate with you and just pray for you specifically. If you pray, Jesus, I give you my life, would you just raise your hand right now and just let me see you? Don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Don't be hesitant. Beautiful. Anyone else? Wonderful. Anyone else? Beautiful. Anyone else? Jesus, I give you my life. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for the men and women who in this moment have opened up their lives to you. God, I just pray that this would be a day of great celebration and joy for them. They would be just filled with, with excitement that they don't have to exist, that they can live. Pray, God, you would just infuse in them so much courage and so much hope and so much joy, so much love, that they would just be overwhelmed today and that they just couldn't help but tell someone that they've given their life to Jesus. God, I pray that you would give them a story that just won't die, a story that just won't die, a story that just won't die because they have conquered death by hearing your voice and coming to life. We thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Can we just thank God for all those who responded to him today? You know, last night when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how in the Bible it says Enoch, 
that he walked with God and then he was no more. And that even though he no longer was, the story continued to live. And I thought, that's the way God wants you to be. That's the way he wants us to be. I want a story they can't kill. How about you? Like, I, I want a story that some people, five years, even before my death, going, there's no way that life was real. Like, that's all legend. That's all mythology. I want my life to be a legend and a myth. I want even my own kids to go, did that really happen? In fact, let me tell you, as I look back on my life and some of the early things that happened in my journey with God and then some of the things that happened in the middle of my journey, I actually think to myself, did that really happen? And when I was writing books, one time there's one just incredible, miraculous moment in my life and Kim said to me, why have you never written about that? And I go, because I have a hard time believing it, even though it happened to me. And she said, you need to write about it because God did that in your life, and by not telling the story, you're disowning it. I gotta tell you, I have so many stories in my life that I'm afraid to say publicly because they don't even make sense to me. But I, I hope you have a life that doesn't even make sense to you. I hope you wake up in the morning and go, I don't know why my life is so good. I don't know why when even things go bad, I somehow just bounce right back up and things get better. I don't know why I have more courage than I thought I could have. I just don't know how I became this. I hope you become a surprise to yourself and at the end of your life, you're looking back going, wow, did that really happen? Was that really me? Was that really my life? Man, I'm a story that just won't die. Love you guys. I wanna thank you so much for joining us today on the Mosaic Podcast. As God has spoken into your life, one of the things that Jesus teaches us is that when we've been invested in, we need to also become investors. And I wanna encourage you right now, if Mosaic is one of the platforms from which you grow spiritually, you connect more deeply to God and your faith with Jesus becomes more real, I wanna encourage you right now to go to mosaic.org and become one of our givers. Give a one-time gift, become a recurring giver, become a part of what God's doing across the world. Mosaic isn't just a church in Los Angeles. Mosaic is all of us working together.